the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Hello, audience, and welcome back to uh, yet another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Today, I thought it would be, actually, Peter thought it would be both thought it would be jointly fun to jointly fun yeah because we both just shut up (laughs) we uh we thought it would be a fun symbiotic time to discuss the differences between live versus studio recordings of certain songs yeah because kind of discussing like whether you know because obviously studio songs are a little bit crisper sounding whereas live is more emotional because being performed for an audience visually mm-hmm. so we picked a few songs out today that we want to discuss the intricacies and differences between the live and studio version i kind of noticed this throughout i mean just music in general but also music of this these genres that we talk about on the show i've noticed from time to time how especially if it's a if it's a song that i'm familiar with and then for the first time i hear a live version it, you really mentally pick out all the differences Exactly. Kind of, kind of without even thinking about it. For me, with in, in those cases, like if I've heard the studio version a ton and then I hear a live version, I usually don't like the live version mm. because notes are different, stuff's in the different places, and it just confuses me because it's not the way I'm always used to hearing it. But if I hear the live version first, then usually I end up liking that better. Mm. Is that weird? No, that makes sense. I think, because for example, when... <laughs> As we've mentioned many times, the uh, the five dollar bargain bin at Walmart oh, music CDs. I'll be looking through and I'll find an artist that I like and I'll consider buying it. But then it says it's a live version, and then I from time to time I'll put it back. And then you just barf into the bin <laughs> in disgust. No. no, it's not that bad. Okay. But I think I think it comes down to familiarity, where sometimes you're willing to expand and listen to a different version of the song that you like or a whole set of songs that you like. But other times I think you just really, you know that you'll more often want to listen to the regular version that you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So that's why people might prefer the studio versions over the live ones. But there's definitely some pluses of the live versions as well, which I guess we'll get into. On that note, let's dive right in and discuss the first song that we picked out, which is Pick Up the Pieces. By average white band. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite examples of how a studio and a live version can sound different. Pick up the pieces by average white band. That's probably one of the most recognized funk instrumental tracks of all time. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to a quick clip of that so that you can probably recognize the song that I'm talking about. So yeah, that's that's a song that probably most of you have heard before, and if not, um, it's definitely one of the best. So this is an example of a song where I've heard it a lot of times, many several times, the, the regular studio version that we just heard. But then, you know, whether you're listening to, I guess, Spotify or Pandora or something, you know, then, then the live version will come up. It, keep, it keeps that same distinctive sound that a lot of people are familiar with, but the, the thing about this, this live version is that they always drag it on a lot longer 
than the original because the original is about three minutes or so. But but these live versions are usually at least about eight minutes long. And what they do is they usually expand on it, do a little bit of improv, uh, doing little you know musical things, and also each performer of of the band also gets their little chance to do a little solo with their own instruments as well. But uh, let's listen to a clip of the live version. Yeah, I love, that's the one thing I occasionally like about live versions is when they use it as a tool to introduce the band members. Mm-hmm. Each have their own little, like, this is blah, blah, blah on bass, and then they do like a bass riff. Yeah. I always dig that. Yeah, those are cool. So something to consider with with, the, with these points that we're bringing up is that, because when you have versions of songs that are recorded in the studio, especially if they're just a single that's supposed to hopefully become popular, on the radio or something, often they're limited to about three to four minutes just to keep new things playing all the time on the radio because that's pretty much the whole point of it. But the live performances, as we were saying, they really give the artists a lot more freedom to expand on the song musically and kind of do pretty much whatever they want. So they not only do they get to expand on the song, but also just their talents as, as just in general. And they get to kind of showcase that to the people who are there. And it's really a cool experience when they do that. I totally get what you're talking about. It's kind of fun that bands are less restricted in what they can do with their with their own songs when they play live versions. And then sometimes you get like cool, lengthier versions of them that may sound different or maybe you would have no chance to hear really on their regular CD because they usually limit the, tra- uh, the length of tracks. When I saw Casey and the Sunshine Band, something that they did that I really enjoyed was that because a lot of the songs have a similar tempo and a similar sound, they're very well fit to kind of a, uh, a mix or mix or uh, basically they did like five, six, seven songs all back to back to back, just kind of jumping from one to the other and jumping back and forth. Because, and I think you have to have songs that kind of work in the same tempo, tempo, like I said. And a lot of his songs do fit that bill. But that's something that they that you don't really get on a, a single version, obviously, is that you don't really get that whole kind of compendium of a whole bunch of songs kind of mixed together into one. Yeah, that's true. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think Earth, Wind, and Fire really did that as much, did they? No. Yeah, I mean... I they, made, they may have done it a little bit. Yeah, I think they did a little bit in the middle, but mostly they just kind of stuck to the set list and this, the length of the songs that they normally are. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, the sh- I don't know if it was just because I was having a fun time or because I was trying to ignore the white woman behind us, but that, that show went really fast. Really, I, thought it, I thought it felt pretty long, but... I don't know. Time flies when you're having funk. <laughs> That's true. Moving on, one of the live versus studio versions that I thought of because I was kind of familiar with the live version is Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. The studio version of probably one of the most famous songs, if not at least one of the most famous. We've already discussed this song in earlier episodes when we were talking about lovemaking music. Mm-hmm. I think we even discussed it a little bit when we were talking about commercials. So yeah, needless to say, we've played that song a couple of times. Yeah, if, I guess if, it's a good song. If this happens to be the first episode that you listen to, uh, let's listen to a quick clip of the studio version so you can re-familiarize yourself with the Marvin Gaye song. Hey. 
So yeah, that's the studio version. I'm sure a lot of you have heard it. If you haven't, you make me sad. But the live version, I don't know if, if as many people have heard it, but it, it stays semi-faithful to the original in terms of tempo, but it's about twice as long. And really in the second half of the live version, it kind of slows down to where there's almost nothing but the backup singer softly repeating, let's get it on. While Marvin Gaye himself does some vocalizing and then eventually starts taking off his clothes on stage. I did not ever watch the video of this, so... Oh, yeah, I watched I watched a video of him doing this live this live version, and near the end, he starts, like, taking off his jacket and That's... unbuttoning his shirt and stuff. That's kind of funny. That's sexy. But yeah, let's listen to the live version real quick, and you guys can picture Marvin Gaye undressing in your mind. No, baby, no, okay. Come here, baby. I'll be cool, baby. Come here, no, come here. Oh, oh, kiss me, baby. Please kiss me. Well, something I wanted to mention about that kind of that slower side of the song that you get with the slide version, I actually kind of felt that that would actually be a lot more realistic in terms of putting it on a lovemaking playlist. Right. Than the, than the regular version. Because yeah. we talked about before that it was overplayed to the point where it's just like a joke. No one can really take it seriously. Not only that, the regular version, I think, is maybe like four minutes long. The live version, with the softer chorus, gives much more time for lovemaking. That's true. As always, I think the live versions... I think it's pretty much a fact that live versions are a lot longer than... Well, you know... I mean, mostly. Not they they want to keep people in their, in their seats, or I guess in the venue, so they can get, I guess, the bang for their buck for tickets... Mm-hmm. And if they have a short set list, but they are given a certain amount of time to play, they're like, "Well, we got to fill the time." Yeah. So I, I'm, I bet that's part of the reason. Yeah. Which Plus is, the reasons we were talking about before. Yeah. Or exactly. they, just because they can. Exactly, because they have more musical freedom to experiment and do as they please. That's true. And undress themselves. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I just imagine like after like he undresses himself and then like he starts putting on like a chicken costume or something. <laughs> I have to admit, I did not imagine that, but... (laughs) That would make his concerts, would have made his concerts much more interesting. Yeah, I guess. Like, each city he goes to, he, like, starts undressing, but then puts on, like, a different costume. Like, one day he's, like, a cow, and one day he's, like, an astronaut. I would just say, I've never, I've never seen that at a concert, but, you know, I guess it could happen. I've seen, I've seen concerts where the performers, like, change into different outfits. Yeah, but not, like... Not a, not a cow. <laughs> but he has, like, the cow costume, but he only bought the top half. And somehow it's still sexy because it's Marvin Gaye. Exactly. Yeah, Marvin Gaye could do no wrong. Another one that really stood out to me in terms of difference between live and studio is a song called Mighty Love by The Spinners. And if you don't know The Spinners, they're a really big group that were really big in the, uh, the Philadelphia soul scene. And... They're one of my personal favorites, if not my personal favorite, in terms of soul musicians. Pretty cool. So the song called Mighty Love, the the studio version that's on one of their albums, it's it's actually a slow ballad type song, and it's kind of similar to their style in terms of, the, of their other songs. They don't have that many that are that upbeat. They have a few, but I think most of them kind of stay a little bit slower and, and ballad-like. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of that right now. Then there's a time Seems like you'll never find someone willing to love you. Keep on looking, you'll soon discover a 
see it's a little slower. Now, something that surprised me was that the live version of this song is consistently a lot more upbeat and just more of a fun song to get up and dance to. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of that really quick. So as you can see, that the two versions are very different, which I found kind of interesting. This live version, like I said, was more upbeat, but also uses a certain amount of ad-libbing by the singers to kind of keep it going. And they kind of just, like we were talking about before, how you can expand musically and improvise a little bit. They do a little bit of that as well. And it's kind of more of a dancey, repetitive groove that lasts several minutes. Uh, depending on the recording, I've, I've heard one that's as long as like 11 minutes long, which is pretty crazy. And it sounds long, but it's actually, it, it's fun. It, it's, it's, it's fun to listen to. That's that's one reason that sometimes, it like especially if you're in the $5 bargain bin, it might behoove people to buy the live version of albums because you get so much song for your buck. Yeah. You may only have five songs, but if they're all like 10 minutes long, it's mm-hmm. like an hour of music for five bucks. Yeah, exactly. Something I wanted to bring up in, in light of this, this difference between the two like why why do you think a group might have this kind of contrast between the two versions of their songs because i mean it's not like they can't do a slow song in a concert because obviously groups do that all the time and the spinners like i said they do have other high tempo songs so why do you i mean theoretically i mean why, why do you think they they might have done this i mean a few reasons one they might like if if there's a song that they have that's very popular and they already have the crowd kind of jazzed up mm-hmm. they may not want to like break that momentum i guess with like a slower song so they play a popular slower ballad but play it with a higher tempo so it can keep the audience pumped mm-hmm. another reason is just based on whatever set list they have set up usually they like to have a sort of contrast between fast and slow songs right. as far as pacing and it may just fit in that you know they played a slow song and now they now they want to play this next song but they want to play it fast so that it doesn't they don't continue that slow balladness too long and then make all the audience fall asleep. That's true. Or start making love. <laughs> that's that's my logic. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I can see that. From concert experiences, I know that, that when it does kind of switch to a slower song, it's always not quite as fun. I mean, it's still enjoyable, don't get me wrong, but it's not the same experience as when they switch to like a really fun, high-tempo song. Yeah. It gets you up and dancing. It's kind of, it's kind I mean, of fun. Yeah, remember when me and, me and Faisal saw Coldplay? Well, yeah, this was... Oh, you did? I didn't know that. Yeah, we saw them in Verizon. Oh, that's cool. They have a lot of slow songs, but they played some of their slow songs at a faster pace, or at least with more oomph, I guess. That's mm-hmm. the dumbest way to put it. Because the audience was so pumped up that with Coldplay, who's kind of known as a softer band, generally, yeah. um, they didn't want to like kill that crowd momentum by like playing like some of their softer songs and making everyone go to sleep. So. Yeah, I mean, because they're, they're kind of, like you said, a softer group in general, so yeah. I can imagine how they might it might be in their best interest to, to make some faster. Yeah, animation of the singers and the band members themselves, if they're jumping around on stage and, like, doing crazy stuff, then that gets the audience pumped up as well. Mm-hmm. If they're doing that to, like, a slow song, then it just looks dumb. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, similar, like, with the Mighty Love and the Spinners, uh, how they drastically change the tempo of their songs to meet the emotional demands of the audience. I guess in contrast to that, with this next song, which is um, Use Me by Bill Withers, the studio version, which is probably is one of his more favorite songs, is sort of a smooth, 
Mild Temple Soul Classic. Let's actually listen to a clip of that really quick so you guys can kind of get the jazzy gist of it. I want to spread the news that if it feels it's good getting used, boy, you just keep on using me until you use me up. So yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard it. It's definitely one of his more famous songs. I think it was probably one of his first singles. I don't know, don't quote me. It might have been, yeah. In contrast to that, the live version is actually even slower <laughs> than the studio version. But somehow it feels more active than the original because with the slowness and the pacing, you really can understand the emotion that he's putting into the song. It actually includes pretty long performance with instrumental solos. So the combination of like this complicated instrumental riff that he plays along with the slower more emotional tone of his voice the live version i actually think sounds a bit better because you think it feels more real exactly it feel it feels like he's i, w- I don't want to say phoning it in because i'm sure he didn't even phone i'm sure he didn't phone the studio version in but it just feels like because he's performing it for an audience and feeding directly off their emotions then you, he has more I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I get your point, though. Yeah. Um, actually, I would say, let's get it on with Marvin Gaye. I think that's a similar. It's similar. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you can you can kind of feel the more emotional anguish, I guess, in his voice mm-hmm. in the live version. I think because especially when they're performing in front of an audience, there's more of a necessity to put visible feeling into what you're performing because mm-hmm. then it makes it seem more genuine to them and it allows them to really connect more with the music. If they see your emotions, then they can mimic those or just feel the rhythm and rhyme, I guess, of the song. Mm-hmm. It's funny because in the live version that we'll listen to it in uh, just a sec, the audience actually even starts clapping and singing along, which is kind of cool. Especially, yeah. I always like seeing audience participation in concerts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's um, let's listen to a live version of the song really quick so you can kind of see the subtle but emotional <laughs> So yeah, a little bit slower, a little bit more angsty, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's not a teen. It's so. a good version. I like it. Yeah, I actually, this is one of the few songs that I actually really like the live version better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you, you've told me in the past, Kyle, that you are not a huge fan of... Uh, Generally, I don't like versions. live versions because the recording devices that they use to record live versions aren't as good, so the music, the sound isn't as rich. Sometimes, you because they're in a big auditorium or whatever... You know, you hear the roar of the audience as a backdrop to the music, which mm. takes me out of it personally sometimes. Because, like, if I'm listening in my car and I'm listening to a live version, mm. I don't want to feel like I'm at a concert. I want to feel like I'm in the recording studio with them. I, I can see that. That so, makes sense. Yeah, it's it's rare for me to like a live version more, but this is one of the few that I definitely do. Yeah. Actually, I don't have anything written down for this, but I want to bring it up. Yes. There is an album by the soul singer Betty Wright, not Betty White. (laughs) She did an album. It's called a live album. I mean, it sounds like a live album, too, because you have the audience cheering and everything in the background, and her voice is echoey and everything. Uh But the weird thing about that album is that it was actually a studio album, and they faked it as a live album. Why would they do that? I don't know the reasons behind that. I just, I found it funny that 
they basically recorded it in a way, or they they, they must have added the echo on later or something. And then, but it's weird because then she, actually, another thing that I really like about, I'm kind of jumping around here. Yeah. Something I really like about the concert experiences is when the singer or whoever like addresses the audience and they tell funny little stories or something about the history behind this or that mm-hmm. or the song. It's always, I always really like that. But she does that in, on this album. She'll stand there and she'll talk. But it's kind of interesting because like she's not actually telling it to any audience when they were recording it. She yeah. was just in some studio. Odd. I mean, it's still entertaining and it's a good album, but it, I just don't understand why they felt the need to do that. Maybe I mean, maybe it was just a stylistic decision maybe she was really bad at performing live i don't know but no you you're the, you showed me that um like i think it was like a live video of her singing that song uh what was it like clean up woman thank you clean up woman yeah. it sounded fine and that was no, she's really good live like and it's the whole album sounds good it's just i don't understand like there's not like a problem Odd. of either the studio or the live you know recordings of hers i just don't understand why they chose to to fake it and like i said oh i remember what i was gonna say it was that it sounds relatively legit but sometimes like the audience chattering or whatever in the background now that i know that it's fake i can kind of tell yeah before that i wouldn't i wouldn't have guessed it yeah i really honestly don't get the reason behind that maybe it's maybe it was cheaper for them to record it that way and produce and then make a bunch of money calling it a live version of another album oh do you think it was a way to get a different recording of her famous songs but not not something that would cost them all the money of a live performance maybe they wanted to release a live album but they didn't have a tour set up for her for a while or she yeah didn't. i would assume they would just get record an actual performance of hers but i know a lot of times when they do do live recordings they try to pick venues that are i guess acoustically pleasing like i know a lot of the live recordings for bill withers were at carnegie hall they usually like to do live recordings in sort of indoor amphitheaters rather than outside because the sound dissipates Mm-hmm. So I mean that might be a thing. I don't know. I don't, I just want to bring that up, kind of as an interesting side thing. I don't know. I can dig it. Yeah. Usually, when you don't know the answer to why a studio does something, the answer is money. <laughs> that's that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. Anyway, so back to our list that we actually have written down here. An interesting song that I would like to bring up is called Chic Cheer by Chic. They're a popular disco band. I'm sure you've heard a few of their songs. Now, the live version of Chic Cheer is over 14 minutes long at least the version that that i have here okay but kyle this is where because you were talking about before where you like where they kind of use the song as a way to introduce exactly Mm -hmm. and they do their little own little solo things yeah this is the song that they use to do that whole thing which is partly why it's 14 minutes long because they take a really long time kind of saying oh on drums the master of you know whatever they they go on forever introducing everybody in the band and it's a huge band too i was gonna say yeah isn't there like a ton of people in that band yeah there's a lot of people so it takes them a while and then in the background it's kind of they kind of just repeat chic chic just kind of they keep the music kind of going softly throughout the whole 14 minutes but for the most part it's kind of it's it's talking if you can understand that i guess uh let's listen to a clip of that really quick steve winwood's high love chaka khan he's played with chic for a long time from Marseille, france now the studio version of chic chair was included at the beginning of their second album what i found interesting about this version is that at the beginning and the end of the track there's actually it, it, it introduces with like applause as if it sounds like it's part of a live album but then as it kind of goes into the song itself that kind of fades away so that 
it sounds a little bit more like a studio recording. Let's listen to the studio version of uh, Chic Cheer really quick. That's a little bit more refined, at least a little bit. But I, I found it interesting that it, they kind of use this as a hybrid between a live and a studio recording, which is kind of funny. I've never really heard that before. What made me think of that a little bit um, is in a few of Marvin Gaye's songs, at the beginning, they actually have like a strange track of like people talking and chattering. Oh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I guess a little bit similar to this concept of, they, of they're using this sort of like track of like ambience of people being around to kind of give a more orchestral or uh, like performance type set because like mm-hmm. it almost feels like you're at like a small college party or something mm. and he just happens to be like on stage playing yeah i always liked that little random bit about it so it's it's kind of cool similar to this the i guess applause and stuff for chic cheer when they kind of add in a little bit of ambient background to kind of give the song more of an environmental feeling of like you're there mm-hmm. and part of the reason they might have done it for this song is because since it's mostly used either at the beginning or the end of their concerts mm. so that might that might be a reason why they added that in i can dig it moving on to our last um song that we have listed here is he's the greatest dancer by sister sledge one of my favorite songs it's a really good song i like it routinely asked by mr peter if i am indeed the greatest dancer which it is true <laughs> the studio version, for those of you that may have not heard it, comes from their 1979 studio album, We Are Family. The song is actually a very upbeat disco hit, which is over six minutes long, which is actually long for, I mean, this now we're getting into disco, and disco kind of bucked that trend of three or four minute songs because they were dance hits. Yeah, I mean, there's something I noticed with disco, I mean, it's just true that a lot of a lot of the songs, especially the popular ones, can certainly be more than the standard three or four minutes. I mean, oftentimes they go six, eight, ten minutes long. Yeah. Depending on what song it is. Let's give you guys a little taste of the studio version. Not six minutes worth. Mm. Uh, just a little bit so you guys can uh, see what it sounds like. Good song, six minutes, kind of long, but because it was used for dance, dance disco, discotheques, the French version, it made sense, I guess, for the time. The live version of this, however, is pretty similar to the original, although actually during a large part of the song, they have the two sisters, Debbie and Joni, uh, actually actively looking for, quote-unquote, the greatest dancer in the audience. And they actually have, in this ver- particular version, they have two men come up on stage and start doing their moves. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was really funny that they say, do we have any greatest dancers out there? And then they look and then they find a couple of guys who are apparently dancing really well. So they bring up on stage, you know, in front of all these people. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of, that's got to be a really cool, unique experience. This is Trevor. Trevor. And we have Denzel. Denzel and Trevor. Let's do, let's do Trevor first, then we'll do the wild one over there. <laughs> Okay, Trevor, you ready? One, two, one, two. I always, I always, that's the one thing I kind of like sometimes, maybe not necessarily about listening to live versions of songs, but actually being there 
is when they do little dorky audience participation things like that, mm-hmm. where they bring people up on stage, or where they sing a lyric and then they hold the mic out and make the audience sing it. Right. It's little stuff like that, kind of audience participation that always makes being at a live concert so much more fun than just listening to it. Well, that's partly like what I was saying before about how I always like how they address the audience and talk to them. Yeah. I guess that's, in a way, that's audience participation because you're talking to the audience. Indeed. Instead of just kind of playing the music in front of them. Yeah. I would say that generally you don't really see audience members go up on stage. No. Unless... Was, that's, that's very rare. <laughs> I mean, least, it might have been... At least they're not invited up on stage. <laughs> yeah. Greatest dancer here. We actually have them being invited up, which is, I mean, that's got to be a really rare occurrence. I don't think you usually... Yeah, especially with, like, the crazy fandom nowadays. It'd be probably scary for any artist to, like, be, oh, hey, crazy fan person, come on stage and don't accost me. Yeah. Okay, well, that's the whole list that we came up with of songs that were different between the studio and the live versions. I mean, in terms of just general discussion, I mean, like, whether you prefer one or the other... It honestly it's, depends it's, for me. It depends on the song. Yeah, really. it depends on the song. You can't really say one is better than the other for any It reason. depends on the ability of the artist to perform live. Some people sound awesome live. Some people sound crappy. Like, you can definitely tell some art, certain artists are definitely very produced in mm-hmm. the studio. Yeah. I'm live and you're like, that's not such and such. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you ever do you ever hear it around, the other way around? Well, or maybe they're really good live, but then they don't sound as good in the studio because maybe they're not as comfortable I guess that's... I, don't really, I can't really think of any... Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I would assume that's a rare occasion, because at least personally performing something live would be a lot more daunting than sitting in a room and doing yeah. it with... I mean, I would, I mean I, I'm, not, I'm not a musician by any means, but I mean, I can imagine being a lot more comfortable in a recording studio. Yeah. Rather than performing in well, front of 3,000 people. You know, you know that advice they always give, just picture everybody naked. Marvin Gaye took that to another level and got naked himself. He pictured himself naked. He pictured himself naked and then just started <laughs> stripping. I guess so. And then he put on a cow suit. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to see people live. I, I can think of a few artists like uh, Parliament Funkadelic. They always end up trying to put on this fantastic visual masterpiece showing. Yeah, I mean, some of them are really it's it's really kind of yeah paved the way for like the extravagant they, concert experience. Exactly, they really try to do that whole visual spectacle to make their live versions or I guess their concerts a lot more appealing than just going fine. Something I'll say about Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, I, I remember I, w- I wanted to talk about this. They were actually I know most of their songs are more slower ballad type songs. I guess it's their age, but even like their more upbeat songs, they felt a little bit slower live. Which I didn't find disappointing, but I just because I wasn't I wasn't used to. I mean, the whole experience felt kind of old, slow, and old. Not in a bad way. It just <laughs> it it just was. I mean, they were they were really cool. They're, they're, they got to be in their like seventies by now, maybe. Oh yeah, they're definitely aging. I mean, they don't sound the same way. They okay. <laughs> Back in the 70s. Similar similar to that. Um, totally wasn't there. I wish I was. Remember, like two years ago when Jon Stewart and Colbert had that, like, rally-something in D.C. Oh, yeah. And they had O.J.'s Come and Play Love Train, and it was extremely slow compared to... And Love Train is actually... I mean, that's a a famous, fast song. Yeah, very fast. And they, like, played it so slow, it felt like like the little kitty trains they have at the mall. (laughs) You know? I can see it working as a slow song, but maybe not live. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the guys were like 5,000 years old, and I think, they were, <laughs> I think they were missing one of them. I guess time is the one factor that really sets apart studio and live versions. Yeah. It's because with the studio version, once you record it at your prime, I mean, you're basically preserved. Yeah, it's that, exactly. That way. Whereas live... Degrades over time. It, it does degrade over time, definitely. Yes. A lot of these groups that we talk about on the show, they are still together, if they can be, mm-hmm. anyway. So you do have the opportunity to go see them. But it's just funny that because they've been, been together for so long, you know, in some cases, they just sound so old. Yeah. It's just different. You can't really you can't really expect it to sound the same. You know what would be, I just thought of, you know what would be an amazing topic for, at some point? Mm-hmm. Is these bands or these performers that stay around for such a long time, some of them, like the OJs or like Earth, Wind and Fire, basically, yeah, they're still around, but they basically just go touring, playing all of their hits that they had in the 70s, mm-hmm. and really don't really do that much new that much new stuff. But you have these other performers that continue recording new stuff and constantly trying to, you know, they're doing it for music's sake, they're not just trying to capitalize, capitalize off past successes. Right. They're always trying to do something new, which I, I, I appreciate. <laughs> and if anyone... Who's not familiar with our show as much? One of our favorite things to do is talk about stuff that we'll talk about. Let's talk later. about stuff to talk about. Yeah, we seem to do that, but I mean, it's good that we can always come up with new things to talk about on the yes. show. So yeah, that's that's all I got for this particular episode. If you enjoyed our show, and we hope you did, uh, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, where you can download all our whole compendium of episodes. And also, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/getyourfunk. And if you like us there, you can get updates on when we have new episodes and also we like to give uh, little links and other fun little things well this has been your host peter and this has been your host slash dj kyle thanks for listening to funk radio join us next time for more of your favorite funk hits we love you bye bye for more podcasts and the latest news in gaming movies and entertainment visit 8circuit.com